Hi, guys, and welcome back. Grant, you're back again. Kenny, it's a privilege. Thank you for having me. So, I'm feeling really motored up. Training camp's underway. Lions season tickets are sold out for the first time in Ford Field history. This is a different feeling than we've ever felt as fans. This is different. Yeah, I don't think that anecdote is something to scoff at by any means. I guess you could look by comparison, probably teams like Green Bay, teams like the Steelers, they probably their season tickets, the season ticket holders are probably sold out each year. But for the first time ever in Ford Field history, let alone six weeks, five weeks before the first game that this team is going to have a, a sold out season ticket holding stadium. And then I bet the rest of the dome is just going to fill out from there. Kenny, tickets to these games are going to be insane. Oh, I know. I think this is like the year that we're going to look back in five years where we're be like, this was the turning point of this franchise. Like this year is the turning point. I think everything just, I, I think the hype is here. I've heard amazing things coming out of camp. I heard they look even better this year than they did last year. One of the things I heard was interesting is the defense looks better than the offense in training camp. Well, I'll tell you, as a firsthand correspondent, I was down there yesterday. I went down Thursday. I went to um, training camp. I went to the open session. It was awesome. I saw Dan Campbell. I saw Goff. I saw the defense. Um, and it's hard. I feel like that, that was my first training camp being there. Of course, I'm spotting a lot of the guys. A lot of it's who's who. Um, but credit to Colton Pouncey, the writers, the people who are able to gain a lot out of watching these training camps. Because I, an untrained eye, I'm like, oh, well, yeah, it looks pretty good. So-and-so looks good. Amon Ross St. Brown had a nasty catch right in front of me uh, that he just ripped out. I think it was Kirby Joseph. He ripped it out of Kirby Joseph's hand and just punted it about 30 feet in the air. This team's going to be good, Kenny. Well, I've heard there's been just so much fire inside this camp. Like that, You know what I feel that's different about this is, is like the culture was still – we were losers with Caldwell. Say what you want. They won games, but it always felt like we were losers. Am I wrong? You know what? That 11 and 4, or yeah, 11, 11 and 4, 11 and 5, did not feel as sweet as last season's 9 and 8. That right. I can't say. And maybe it's a recency bias, but these team, this team feels hungry. I can tell you, Dan Campbell has progressed as a head coach. We've seen the progression. Jim Caldwell was well into his career. It was hard to see that team and him as a coach progress. I think we can put our hands on the progression of what we're seeing in Dan Campbell, how we've seen Jared Goff really come into his own. Really, we were thinking, Kenny, we, we were talking on this podcast not too long ago. He's the filler guy. He's the bridge. But I think it's time to put that to rest. I think Jared Goff, that I was able to see enough from training camp. He was being the commander who's being the captain, which we need. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. If Goff steps into his role better than he did last year with a defense behind him this year, with an O-line fully healthy, yeah, you don't have J-Mo week one through six, but when you get J-Mo back, you have a better receiving core than you, you did last year. Laporta is a great receiving tight end. We saw it in college. We were seeing it in camp. He's not being really used as a blocker. He's being used as like a Kittle-type guy or a Kelsey-type guy. And then you have Gibbs, 
who you didn't even need to plug into this offense, but I mean, this offense is ridiculous now. Goff has the tools to do what he did with the Rams in Detroit this year. He has all and the tools to do it. With this might be a crazy take. This is what I think will be the one, the, the craziest take of the episode. Is Ben Johnson a more creative offensive mind than Sean McVay? Mm. And that's what I'm thinking we're starting to see where Jared Goff was the first overall pick. Right. But the, I really can say from what I've seen of last season, Ben Johnson is higher utilizing Jared Goff than Sean McVay ever could and ever did. No, I, I agree with you. And I think now that you got like this wild card type guy like Gibbs that you can put anywhere on this offense. He's playing a lot of receiver. He's playing a lot of running back. This is going to be the most interesting part. That, that's going to be the biggest question mark of this team. If Gibbs is as good as they're saying in camp, does our ceiling go from, let's just say right now, I got them at 11 wins this year. No, see, this is where I disagree with it, you. It, no, no, no. If, if Gibbs is a rookie of the year candidate, one or two, like I he think is still, he I think rookie. Even if Gibbs, let me finish this point. This is the highest. Okay, okay, okay. If, if Gibbs is one or two in rookie of the year voting, does your ceiling go from eleven wins to thirteen wins? If this guy is everything that they're saying he is, my answer to that is no, no. I don't think running back splitting time, who plays to his full potential, bumps his team. Two wins. I think the biggest factor is Jared Goff. If Jared Goff plays to his highest ceiling, then this team's win count can jump from 11 to 13. I think Gibbs is going to be phenomenal. I was seeing a little bit firsthand what we've been reading on Twitter about how they're going to be using him on a slot, putting him in motion. Gibbs is going to be a part of this offense. I think week one. Week one, we're going to see Gibbs. We're going to see it's going to be fun. It's going to be great. And how he might be the rookie of the year. He might get more shine than Bijan. But I don't think that elevates us two wins. No, I think Jared Goff elevates his team two wins. I agree with you. That was just a curiosity question for you. Now, right. now, no, now, no, no, totally. Here's the thing with Gibbs that I think is going to be interesting. If his role becomes so big by week six, like – with J-Mo out, because J-Mo's like your downfield threat. Now, J-Mo, his hands are terrible, but his whole role is just to beat you downfield and get open. No, that's, I wouldn't say his hands are terrible. His hands aren't that good. He's dropping a lot of passes. That, well. that one day, that one day, that one day, yes, he dropped passes. I, if Gibbs's role becomes so big by week six that he's all over the field, he's doing everything they're saying he's doing, and more, right? And more. What does J-Mo's role become on this team? If Gibbs is this massive Christian McCaffrey type guy, you have St. Brown for third downs in the slot. Does J-Mo's role get pretty small in this offense? If Gibbs becomes this massive threat, Montgomery's playing to his potential, Laporta's playing to his potential, Marvin Jones is playing all right. Like he's playing like a number three receiver. Does J-Mo's role get pretty small in this offense in terms of, well, Gibbs is now this rookie of the year candidate. He's breaking out. He's everything we said and more. And you got St. Brown's going to be St. Brown. And Montgomery will be Montgomery. He's going to get you four yards up the middle. Penny, I hear what you're saying. And I agree to an extent. Where logistically, you got to think, if everything works out perfectly with everyone else, is this even in 100% a needed piece? But where I'll disagree is where 
I think football is different from basketball. You can't have too many superstars. You can't have too many weapons, even though there is only one ball similar into basketball. But the impact, I think of just if Jameson Williams is a downfield threat, threat, he's going to be utilizing that wet, like, you know what right. I mean? Being able to draw the safety out, being able to open up the middle of the field. So even if he's not getting his hands on the ball every drive, more weapons is more victories. So I think, although the, I think if all the rookies and all the new people added play to their best of their ability, yeah, that might limit his workload or maybe even just his, what shows up in the stat sheet, but it never hurts to have more weapons. Never. No, no, no. I, I, I agree with you. I just think the role gets smaller and smaller. If you're, if you're going to be able to run the ball with Gibbs, have Gibbs in the slot, get you 15 yards. If St. Brown's playing like St. Brown of last year and Marvin Jones is Marvin Jones of what he was, or he's still a glimpse of what he was his first time here. And Laporta is playing to what they're saying Laporta is. I find it hard that Jamo's going to be a massive part of this offense later in the season. I think this team's going to have an identity by week seven when he comes back. And the identity will be without Jamo in that offense. And that's where I think if everything goes right, the identity is already established on this team. And identity would be give it to Gibbs, give it to St. Brown, and let Montgomery run up the middle, right? And let LaPorter get open in the flat. The whole offense changes, I feel like, if everything goes right the first seven weeks of the season. And then Jamal's role gets diminished from being this number 1A, 1B receiver to more of a receiver 2A, 2B with Marvin Jones. It all goes right. That's where I think everything changes. The identity of this team changes. Kenny, my one concern that, as I mentioned before, to the untrained eye, what I noticed, the only thing that concerned me about at training camp was the kicking situation the kicker room so they had two guys alternating reps Mm -hmm. i should have done my research and knowing what the names of these two guys are riley patterson's one yeah yeah patterson's one and then the other one i forgot but didn't look like a for sure thing didn't look like it was set in stone i guess we are five weeks away but i do not want i'm uh what is the team? What does it take to get this team a kicker? Someone that we got spoiled with Jim Hansen for so long that I forgot that this was even an element of the game that we actually do need someone to kick extra points. And I'm tired of it just ro- having a rotating door of guys doing the job. I want no, a guy. No, I, I agree. I guy. You know, I've been screaming about the kicking situation for a while on here because now you're forced to go for it more and forth. I feel like like Campbell to reach his ceiling of head coaching. He's a kicker. He's already shown he has an offense. He's already shown his defense down the stretch of last year was good. wasn't great, but there was a lack of talent and they were good. They were a top half of the league defense when they were winning games down the stretch. Right? He has right. two coordinators that were getting head coaching looks this year. Neither of them took the jobs, but they were at least finalists for multiple positions. Campbell can only live up to the top of the top of his potential is if he has a kicker because he doesn't have to go for it fourth and three on the 35-yard line. 
because you can't kick it. It really felt like last year he didn't trust his kickers. And I didn't trust any of the kickers. I don't blame him for not trusting any of the kickers. None of them were consistent last year. None of them. I mean, you were holding your breath every single time Badgley kicked it. Even in that so maybe game. maybe that's so, just what it means. We'll just be more aggressive on fourth down again. Which but, I don't but, but but that's not a smart way to win 13 games. That's not a smart way to win 12 games. You and I, I both that's know. what got him to win. But, nine but, but, but 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 that's what you got to do this year. That's what you got to do without a kicker. I think if you can just settle for three and still be aggressive on fourth, but not have to go for it three or four times a game. Because there were games. I mean, we were going for it three or four times on a fourth and one, on a fourth and two. If you can go for it once or twice a game and be less aggressive, because I feel like if you're too aggressive as a head coach, things can go to shit really fast. If you're too passive, like Jim Caldwell was, you're a bad coach. You need to be somewhere in between aggressive and passive, like somewhere in between the two. If he can still be a little aggressive, but be able to settle for three on a fourth and two from the 35-yard line, I'm happy. I think he can live up to his potential of being this phenomenal head coach here, getting statues all around the city. But until there's a kicker here, this guy will never live up to the potential of being what he could be as a head coach. That's just how I feel about this team. I love that, and I love that. Dan Campbell would be great, except if he doesn't have a kicker. How do you love – okay, if you were to put this person that I'm going to mention into one of these three categories – Love him, hate him, or indifferent. Scott Harris. Indif- How do you between think- between indifferent and don't like him? Okay. I I don't hate him, but you had to do something, man. You had to do something because this roster is not going anywhere. I you, you signify with your draft pick you're rebuilding for a while. I'm going to stick to that take. You don't agree? I'm going to stick with it. I think the draft pick signified a long rebuild. Well, this trade deadline didn't do anything for you. Okay, yeah, I do like the return you got for Lorenzen. He was talking about getting guys that command the strike zone well. The guy that got commands the strike zone well. The Lorenzen trade, I think you got a good return. Getting a number five prospect in the Phillies organization is solid, in my opinion. For yeah. a guy that's a rental, a guy I don't think anybody thought you would even get something for at deadline coming into the season. So hats off to to uh, Scott Harris for getting that done. Now and also as a fan, because Lorenzen had only been here since the start of this year, it doesn't hurt to trade right. him. Right. Like now, my fandom does not hurt. Like it was fun see him get into the All Star game. He's a real humble guy. He's a great guy. But that guy's not a tiger. Right. So that's fine. Now on the flip side, Erod, I don't like it at all. I don't like it at all. I don't like him as a person to begin with. You know all my reasons why I don't like him as a person. And then for him to say no to that trade pisses me off. You're going to fucking LA, dude. You're going to win a fucking ring if you go there. Maybe. Or you're going to be pretty damn close. Why are you staying here? Why? And no, 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 so, I- yeah. So, Eduardo Rodriguez had 10 teams on his do not trade clause and pretty much opted out of being traded to the Dodgers. And we don't know what the return was. They said it would have been I, thought, I thought of you. I thought of you when I read the news because I go, yikes, this is not helping Eduardo's case for Kenny. And I don't know how much he cares about you, Kenny, but I think he should. 
I think he should. And I think uh, you're going to be there for three months, dude. Three months in L.A. Get paid and then move back to the East Coast if that's what it's about being with your family. But also, Scott Harris, you have 10 teams that you can't trade with if this guy's going to be a part of the deal. I don't know what Scott Harris is thinking. See, that, that, and that's where I agree with you. That's where my indifferent goes to, I don't like him. Because you had to do something more. You, you had to do something with Erod. Because now where are you going to get for Erod? I don't want to pay him. I got Mize back next year. I got Scooble back next year. And I got Manning on a full season next year. And I can Right, go so now there. we just let him walk, potentially? Because who knows if... I right, now he walks for free. Now he walks for free. You could Terrible. have got maybe a top 100 prospect for him if you traded him. I, I truly think a contender would have paid up for him at the end of the deadline if the Dodgers weren't the deal in place. Somebody was going to pay up. You had to. He's a guy that you put on game three on the mound because he is no number one ace pitcher. He's no number two pitcher. He's a damn good number three, a damn good number four pitcher. You're down 2-0 in a series. You got to come home. That's the guy you put on the mound. That's the guy you put on the mound because you have a chance if you put Erod on the mound in the postseason. That's a guy that puts a team like the Dodgers right now. That puts them over the Braves, in my opinion. That probably puts them over most teams in the AL, too. You, if you look at other teams in the National League that need pitching or need another guy in their, or a team in the AL, the Angels said they were going to buy. Now, I get it. The Angels' farm system isn't sexy. But if you made a trade with the Angels, you would have got you something. Get something. At least you get you something. Get something. Right. You get there were something. Teams, there were teams. I don't know. That's probably another team on his clause. But the point is, is... When you look at it, I just wanted to get something for him. Even if it was like the seventh best prospect in somebody's farm system, I wanted something because there's no reason to bring him back next year. And there's no reason why he will come back next year. So this is just, that's where I'm pissed at Scott Harris. It's like, dude, you had to do more than nothing because it really felt like he did nothing. It really felt like he did nothing. And he's like, we're going to run it with the roster we have the rest of the season. Well, unfortunately, the problem is. Yeah, the division is fucking trash, but, and yeah, you're getting fully healthy next year, but Tommy John surgery is not an easy surgery for guys to come back from. Yeah, it's better than it was 10 years ago, but I'm not counting on Casey Mize to be a stud anymore. You saw what happened with Fulmer when he had the same exact injury. Fulmer never came back to what Fulmer was pre-injury, and he was a young pitcher just like Casey Mize. I know the surgery is different than, it, it used to be a death sentence, and I get it, but it just feels like Scoople's never on the mound. Mize is never on the mound. Riley Green, when he's on the field, he's electric, but he's never on the field. When Manning's never on the mound. And it just feels like you're running it back next year with pretty much a similar roster because I, I don't expect Illich to spend anything. So you're going to run it back with the same roster pretty much next year and maybe a few pieces here and there. Guys getting called up like Colt Keith, Justin Henry Malloy, Parker Meadows, guys will come up next year that we're in the farm system all year this year. But the point is, is like, you're going nowhere. You're going nowhere next year. You're going nowhere the year after that. And you're playing and building around a bunch of guys that are liabilities and are never on the diamond. And that's not a smart way to rebuild. I think the Tigers need to have something happen this offseason. Because if it doesn't, Kenny, you can't run it back with the same team. You can't. 
I, I don't know if I can watch. I don't know if I'll bear to watch. It'll be kind of like the Pistons this last season. We're pulling up Bally Sports. This feels more like a sin than it does a luxury. Yeah. And, and that's your problem right now is you have an owner that doesn't want to spend any money. And you have a GM that has been very passive so far here. He's been the most passive GM to start his time here. Avila was more aggressive than him. Avila sucked at what he did, but Avila at least was making trades. Scott Harris is just sitting there doing nothing right now. And it, it feels like you need to build up this farm system because there's really nothing past Cold Keith and Justin Henry Malloy. Jackson Job's never healthy. That's another guy that's never healthy. You're building around a bunch of injured players, guys that can't stay on the diamond, and it feels like you need to stock, stockpile this farm system pretty fast. Because the one thing about Scott Harris that everybody was raving about him coming in is he can turn around a farm system fast. He hasn't done anything so far to turn around that farm system, really. He's really done nothing. Yeah, he got Veerling. He's been great. He wasn't really a farm system guy, but he's probably a piece that will be here a couple I years. think Maton was the farm system guy. Maton was a farm system guy. We'll see what happens with him. I don't really like him. And then Justin Henry Malloy, he's raking. He'll be up in September. But the thing I, I'm having an issue with right now is your farm system's pretty paper thin. Once your guys come up next year, Colt Keith comes up next year, there's nothing there. And there's not. it's not like anybody on this roster outside of Erod had any real legitimate trade value to get another guy in your farm And you didn't even deal Erod. So I would give Scott Harris a... An F. A, a, a D. No, he dealt Lorenzen. He dealt okay. Lorenzen. Okay, I'll give him D plus. Yeah, D or D minus even. I, I'd be... I don't know. You're right. He's, he's, he's just breaths away from an F. He was really very close. Mm-hmm. So... But in other news also, I know obviously your bias is written onto your shirt even. But Kenny, what do you make of Jim Harbaugh being suspended for the first? Is it for sure the first four games? It's pretty much set in stone at this point. Okay, this is what I'm going to say. He deserves it. You shouldn't be lying to the NCAA. You shouldn't be covering your ass. He's, it's not like he's a good person either. He's never been a good person. So... Then my, my point is, is like four games is ridiculous when Tennessee has about 50 violations and they don't get shit. It's kind of ridiculous when you have a bunch of teams that haven't really had. Okay. Here's where my problem is. Arizona State got a very similar COVID punishment to Michigan. They, they were really hard about COVID violations. You and I both know that. They, were, they don't really, but they haven't been tough on Tennessee getting a ton of violations and they did nothing with it. Here's my thing. The four games don't matter. You have two coordinators that are going to be head coaches after this season. Sharon Morris, the guy who's getting head coaching looks at a lot of schools right now. I would think he's the guy who takes over the, the head coaching, coaching job. Duties. He's the OC and O-line coach. And that O-line is consistently number one in the nation every single year. Now, the thing I'm going to say about Harbaugh's tenure so far, just getting a little off topic about it, is there's something Harbaugh has consistently had in all of his years at Michigan. He's consistently had an identity with his O-line and his D-line. Every single year, he's always had an identity surrounded around his O and D-line. 
I think Sharon Moore, Moore becomes probably the interim for the four games. Harbaugh should have got two games. But granted, you're playing like nobody for those four games. Oh, it doesn't three. really matter. Yeah, right? It doesn't really matter. So that's a, yeah, I also agree. I think it's funny that this started over a burger, mm-hmm. and this really much is a nothing burger. This was the first four games. They don't mean shit. Um, it's not like he's he's probably he just can't be there for the games, correct? It's not like he's right. suspended from field practice and right. So yeah, this seems like a slap on the wrist for something that just deserved a slap on the wrist. Because you're right, they're not going after Tennessee. I think uh, it did, though, temporarily add a lot of fuel to the fire to Michigan-Michigan State rivalry on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I know we're a few days removed from this, but what did you make of the whole uh, Lexi go blue? Did you catch this? No, I didn't. I saw the so, memes. I didn't catch what she said. So this is what happened. So for also for our viewers who are not up to date. So. This began with the announcement of the Michigan-Michigan State game, right? Mm -hmm. This was shortly also being during the time period of the Jim Harbaugh uh, punishment being announced. So, Valenti was on 97-1, advising Michigan fans to not even come to the game. He said that this intensity is boiled to an all-time high. He says it's going to be wild in East Lansing at 7.30 when that game's going off. And that to avoid receiving battery, Michigan fans sh- should not even show. So then Lexi go blue, uh, takes the initiative upon herself to I, whether create a burner or she already had a burner. And she DM'd herself threatening messages to perpetuate this Michigan State fans are crazy and they're going to attack us at the game. So then she posted a screenshot of the profile and it said, edit profile. (laughs) It it showed that she's (laughs) looking at the account from her own phone and it says edit profile. So she outed herself probably is the biggest loser of this year. Um, And that gave Michigan state fans a lot to work with. And uh, I'm curious how many more times will that pop out? throughout the remainder of the football season and up until when Michigan and Michigan State play. Oh, that's funny. It's going to it's gonna be a uh, bloodbath in East Lansing. I, I don't think we have a chance of winning that game, though. What do you also kind of – this? let's do it a, too early, not enough information, um, record prediction for both teams. Michigan State's going 4-8. Michigan's going eleven and one, and the loss won't be Ohio State. It's going to be Maryland. It's going to be Maryland in between that Penn State Ohio State game. I like that. That's a fun call. That's a better call than and the thousandth win for and the thousandth win for uh, Michigan will come against Ohio State. Oh, they're a thousandth win with Harvard. Yeah, will come against State. Oh, just in general, the a thousandth win, thousandth program win. Wow, that's insane. That that would be cool. Yeah. That would be pretty cool, too. It would be. I think Michigan, I mean, that's nobody's touching them. Let's be real. Nobody's touching the, them. Who's a, what is it, like Ohio State is next? or Ohio State's easily next. I know there's hype around Penn State, but every year we have hype around Penn State, and they disappoint. So if I had to rank the Big Ten right now, Michigan's your one, Ohio State's your two, Penn State's your three, 
everything past that's just mids and garbage. I mean, you know, Wisconsin's going to be okay. I like Nebraska. I do like Nebraska bringing in Matt Rule. They might be bowl eligible this year. He's the real deal. Now, yeah, maybe that will be the turnaround getting Scott Frost out. Right. And just have a new tenure in Nebraska where they've been, they were good and then they've been so bad. They've been so bad. They've been terrible. Rutgers will be terrible. Northwestern will be terrible. Indiana will be terrible. Michigan State will probably. What about Iowa? What's up with Iowa? Mids, there'll be seven, eight wins like they always are. So UCLA and USC are not a part of the conference. Not this year, but next year. And then so Oregon and Washington. Football season is that starting next football season? Yes. So that's like the calendar year begins in the fall for mm-hmm. sports. Mm-hmm. You know what's interesting for college basketball this year? It's going to be fun. It's a one-year thing. Did you see the? Uh, they're all realigning the Big Twelve for college basketball. So all the teams that are realigning into the Big Twelve are in early this year with oh, Texas and Oklahoma. So Houston is in the oh. same conference this year as Texas, Kansas, TCU, and all the dogs down in that conference. So we are going to see Houston in the Big 12 with Texas this year and Kansas and all of them. And then on top of that, you have Cincinnati joining. That's always a borderline tournament team. UCF, always a borderline tournament team coming in that conference this year. So, Kenny, this is my take on the realignment. Because I am not an NCAA junkie. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, I don't live and breathe the NCAA and its traditions. I like the realignment. I don't, I'm not stuck in my ways and my, my, my traditions of how, okay, well, geography or based off the geography, um, these teams are going to play these teams and it's going to be at this time of day and this time of year. I like the expansion. I like adding, making, I think it just makes more sense. To format uh, Division One college athletics more like pro sports, where you have two conferences and divisions underneath those conferences. And well, there's going like to be no divisions in the SEC record. or Big Ten. There's no divisions in the SEC or Big Ten. They're going to straight up. Everybody randomly plays each other. And now I don't hate that either. I love it. I love it. Now, now my problem with this whole thing is you're a college student, right? You're still a student athlete. You got to go on a road game from USC. You got to come back to East Lansing for one or two days. And then you got to go all the way out to Penn State next week for another game. The scheduling, I I don't like the scheduling of it. No, you're right. No, but that's where what they'll do to protect that is they're no longer student athletes. These are now athlete students. They Mm -hmm. are. Right. the, The. Student athletes is moving out the door. These guys are athlete students, and they will be treated as such. They're going to be accommodated as such. Right. Like them flying all around from first they got to go to California to play USC, and then they got to go the East Coast to play Maryland. They'll be fine. They'll be accommodated. They're not going to be focused on their school, but they're not. They're not just students. They're athlete right. students. Grant, thank you. Yes. Kenny, it's always a pleasure. I'm motored up. This was awesome. Love this talking. was a good one today. Yep. I will see you guys back probably. Uh, we'll see what happens this weekend if the Tigers do anything, if there's any news that comes out. Because you never know what's coming out of the Lions training camp too. So Monday or Tuesday we'll be back. I'll see you guys then.